the Ugandan government 12, 15 years ago were in the same state where they had to run for their lives. They are a very generous government that's opened their doors to other people who are running for their lives from Sudan and from the Congo. What we saw is where the government is actually taking 30 or 40 square blocks of acres and dividing it up to little parcels where people can build their own homes and, and plant food in the grounds and they're becoming communities. Other organizations came in and built the buildings where the schools are taking place and they're learning and they're learning the Bible and they're being taught Jesus and then Solomon comes in with the food and with the spiritual aspect and that last clip in the video of people running he told me and you have to understand for a guy that has pastored a long time in Africa when he says I've never seen anything like this when I gave the call to come to Jesus I said I'm gonna count to four he said before I could say one they were literally running to the front to receive Jesus it's an incredible place the sad part is in one of the camps they had a little food left the other camp the food was gone in the city a few hours away in Kampala there's a warehouse that has 13 uh, 15 containers of food each container will feed 300,000 meals two and a half cents a meal so we were able to release two immediately while we were there to start the feeding so I would ask you to pray and just ask God if he would speak to you or to your company or your organization to purchase one of those since I've been home for one week I've already had a couple legacy people, uh, there's like three, have already said, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I want to do one, I want to feed. My commitment to Solomon is by the end of the year, we'll get all of those containers released to you so that no child is hungry. If the food's not there, they don't come to school. So the food, without the food, they're not there with the food. They have food, they can think, and they can learn. So I want you to be a part of that, and if God speaks to you and you want to do something on it, you can talk to us. We'll, we'll give you more about that, okay? Everybody good? Good. Uh, one other thing. If you're going to Israel with me in November, now's the time to sign up, and if you've never been, you need to go. It's going to be an incredible trip. We go annually, and you can check it out online, but I encourage you, if you're going to go, now's the time to sign up. Well, in this series, as we're teaching our core values uh, I want you to understand that a few years ago, Trey, and some of you probably don't know, Trey is my son. So Trey's been with me since we started the church. Uh, he was thrown into the youth pastor place, but so he's heard and known everything that I've taught and preached. So Trey and the directional team look back to the major themes that have been instilled in this church. The reason I say this is because our core values were birthed to us from God as I led the church. They didn't come out of a book, they didn't come from a seminar, they came directly from God. And I thought it was really neat that they could go back and identify them, and I'm so close to it, maybe I couldn't see it like they could. So, for instance, it's all about Jesus. The, the major theme has always been Jesus, from day one. It's always been about Jesus. Generosity is active. We, we were giving before we had anything to give. We, we were giving out of our time, our energy, resources, food. We were giving. Healthy things grow. That was actually, there were two directives God gave me before planning the church. He said, I want you to reach people that no one else wants. And I just showed you some video of two camps of refugees that no one else wanted. And I want you to build a healthy church. So healthy things grow. That's a directive from God. Last weekend, Trey talked about excellence 
honors and inspires. And if you missed that, you need to go back and listen to it because here's what we did. For years, we practiced, we learned and we practiced that everything flows through worship. And that's that's the center of what he was talking about. So I encourage you to go back and look and listen. Uh, This weekend, the message is, or, or the core value is anything's possible. Anything's possible. So this text that we back it up with is Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and he said to them, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. So here's what we believe. We believe in putting God-sized dreams into real-life action. And we're right at home in deep, uncharted waters where only faith can sustain us. So we never insult God with small thinking or safe living. This message has two parts today. They're connected. They're intertwined. So here's the first part. It's called permission to dream. Permission to dream. Now you have to understand that over 19 years, all of this has developed. I've learned this. You know, I didn't get it out of a book. I've learned, I've walked this out. So what I'm giving you is firsthand experience of what's been established, and, and I know that the number one core value is, is, is Jesus, you know, is everything, and I think number two is anything's possible, because that's connected to faith. So we, we, what I want you to see is permission to dream. In Genesis 37 and 3, you know the story, and I'll read verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob's new name, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. Joseph's life was changed when he received the two dreams. He was the son of Jacob and Rachel. He was a favorite son. One day he came. His father gave him a coat of many colors. That's what we call it. It's it's a multicolored tunic. And when he did, then Joseph begins to dream. The dreams radically changed his life and people's lives. And I believe that God has a coat for you. And when you recognize it, you will begin dreaming, and it will radically change the rest of your life. It'll set you on course to achieve what God has for you. As soon as Joseph put this coat on, it it gave him permission to dream. The story of the coat is not just a story specific to Joseph. It's a story that tells us how God gives dreams. I believe the coat of many colors symbolizes many things, and once we have these things in our lives, we can begin to receive the dreams of God. So God has a dream for you, something he wants to share with you related to the will of your life. Your will is your desire. He has a dream that's related to the desires of your life. See, it doesn't matter if God has a dream if you don't know the dream. If God hasn't told you what his will is for your life, then then how can you do it? And God isn't a secret keeper. He wants to reveal his will. He wants you to dream the dream and he, he, and he wants you to receive the vision. When you dream dreams, you receive vision. And Joseph's family, and by the way, his family was one of the most dysfunctional families in the entire Bible. I mean, you, you can read it and see. It, re- it really was. There were 12 sons, and then the father, not being wise in this point, he, he, he let everybody know he loved Joseph more. So he made him a special coat. As soon as Joseph put on the coat, he's hated by his brothers. And yes, he was a, a little tattletale, creepy little brother. If you had one of those, I did. Uh, I had three of them, actually. Uh, but, but with boys, 12 boys in the house and one coat, it made for a bad day in Jacob's house. The good news is God the Father has a coat for every child because God doesn't have any favorites. We're all his favorites at the same time. 
So what does the coat symbolize? Well, primarily it symbolizes the favor, favor of the Father's love. Joseph is a type of Jesus. He's a type of a Savior that saved the entire world. Joseph and Jesus' ministry began with a public demonstration of their love of the Father. In, in Jacob, it was the coat. In Jesus, it's when he stood in the river Jordan and the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So God totally believes in you today. But you're not going to dream and find your destiny until you believe he loves you. Now, you will have a dream because as a child, if you grew up and, and you didn't have any destiny spoken into you, you, you didn't hear words that, hey, we believe in you and we follow you and we love you and God has a plan for you and a purpose and a destiny for you and on and on and on. When we don't have destiny spoken over our lives and we don't get God's dream, we will dream a dream. But that dream isn't God's dream. It's just a dream to try to fill the hole in our hearts. So we dream about money or power or popularity or fantasy. But why would God love us like that? Why, why would God have a dream for every individual on the face of the earth? Psalms 139, incredible chapter. You should read it. But it, in verse 13, for it, the, the psalmist said, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not a product of a man and a woman. You're a product of a man and a woman and a God. And a lot of us are born into the world and we don't feel fearfully and wonderfully made because of people and circumstances. It, it didn't make us feel that way. And, and some would even say, you know what, I was born naked at a very early age. And the doctor slapped me on the rump and it's been downhill ever since. Some would say, I can believe God had a perfect plan, but the plan's blown. It's been gone a long time. Listen to me. God is a genius. He factors everything in. He makes us in our mother's womb. He knows the family we're going to be born into. He knows the circumstances. He knows the personality that he has given us and the culture that you're going to live in. And he says, hey, child, listen to me. I created you for a great destiny. I knew you would be born into a difficult world. And Joseph, yeah, he had evil brothers. They threw him into a pit for a little bit of money. And God had all that planned out. He knows all the mistakes you've made. He knows all the mistakes that people made to you and around you. But that doesn't change one thing he has planned for your life. So why would God love me like that? Well, the best illustration I can give you is simply this. Years ago, I have six grandchildren. The oldest one is Bella. She's 10 and I, I don't know, she was probably four then, but, but Bella's a piece of work, okay? Uh, so it was, I don't know what it was, her birthday or whatever, and she loves to go to Target, and so we were up here, and she said, okay, I, don't, I won't go to Target, let's go to Build-A-Bear. I've never been to Build-A-Bear before, <laughs> or since. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. You go in, and you pick, pick out the bear, and then you pick out how much stuff you want in it, and what you want in it and the heart and then you dress it and I mean it, it, you know I, I, I came out of there almost had to go borrow money to pay for it I mean it was unreal but she built it from scratch that's why God loves you so much he built you from scratch and if you feel you're a nobody and you're a zero you're an accident you're not special you're not going to dream you're not going to get the vision and if you do it will be one of those, if you do dream, it will be one of those me dreams where you try to fix the hole in your heart and that makes you one of those dime a dozen people that are trying to, they're dreaming of ruling the world by being rich. 
But when you dream God's dream, you put your coat on, and that coat was made for you. And when you put that coat on, here's what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 11, 30. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That word easy means custom made. When you put my dream on, when you put my destiny on, on in your life, everything in you comes alive. Every gift that I've deposited awakens. And the righteous desires in you are activated because now you know exactly who you are. And when you understand the love of God, you begin to dream. And it gives you permission to dream. So the coat first means, A, it means when you know God loves you, you'll dream. Look at Psalms 139 again. Look at the next verse, 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Before you ever came out of your mother's womb, God had your life pre-planned and written down, and he knows all of it. So listen, listen. The dream is simply him telling you what he did in your mother's womb. Let let me say it this way. The dream is simply him showing you who you are. At 45 years old, God had to tell me I was a pastor. He'd been trying to tell me I didn't want to listen. But he finally had to tell me because nobody else could. No one else could. He was the only person who was there in my mother's womb, and he had the plan. Nobody can tell you who you are. Only God can tell you who you really are. People can tell you who they want you to be or they think you should be, but when God shows up, he will tell you who you really are. And my prayer is for a church that would dream, knowing dreams can challenge you, and yes, sometimes they scare you because they're so big and so awesome because they're beyond your ability. The devil's dream for your life, you can do on your own. God's dream, you you can only do with God. He shares the dream and gives us the ability to do the dream and keeps us encouraged in the process. The coat also means we're to dream out loud. Joseph's dream wasn't private, it was public. When God gives you a dream, you got to tell somebody. you got to talk about it. it because a private dream is a powerless dream. Because your dream inside your heart of doing something for God with your life, it it, it doesn't do any good until you talk about it. Now, Joseph told people closest to him, but it made them mad. When God gives you a dream, you got to tell safe people, but not everybody. Then you submit to God and you wait on the timing and the provision. Uh, Joseph had to wait 13 years for it to come to pass. Sometimes with a dream, there's a process. You have to submit to the process, the timing before you start talking about it. Oh, I had a dream about 19 years ago. I had a vision that City Hope Church was going to affect the world for Jesus Christ. And we may have had 100 people sitting in the room. I, I, I couldn't tell them then what the dream was. And I, actually, I've only told this part of the dream in the last few years. But you have to talk about it. You have to say it. You have to say something. And then you have to write it down. Look at Habakkuk 2.2. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run, notice the word run, that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. You heard that verse before? But the just, say it with me, but the just shall live by faith. 
When you say it, there is something powerful that takes place, but it's even more powerful when you write it down. We've written down the vision, the purpose of this house. We lead people to be fully alive in the true hope of Christ. Our purpose as a church, and it's supported by our values, our core values. My question for you is, what is your vision and your purpose in your life? What's your vision and purpose for your marriage? What, what, what about your children? Have you written it down? Because he who writes it down and reads it will run. Why would you run? Because you have passion. You receive passion. When you have a dream and you take that vision and you speak it and then you write it down and you begin to say it and speak it, it, it produces passion and you're ready to run with it. When you don't have God's dream for your life, you will live a safe life, taking the fewest risks possible. You're, you're not running because there's no passion. The code of God's love and favor gives you permission to dream. So, so remember, know that God loves you and you have permission to dream. And then dream out loud and speak it and write it. And honestly, I do believe that some of you had the dream beat out of you. Some of you have been discouraged and overwhelmed by circumstances in life. I reviewed the poll that, that, that you heard about that was taken by people in City Hope Church asking if you believe with God anything is possible. Is there anything in your life that you believe is too big for God to handle? And, 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 I, and I don't know the exact number, but I'd say probably half it was yes, 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 and the other half they, they were they began to describe circumstances. And, and, and you, could, you could read doubt between the lines, and you could re read frustration between the lines, and you could look at circumstances and say, oh, my goodness, and, and, and nothing's happened, and discouragement is coming and all that. Listen, I pray the dream for your life will be awakened within you. If you don't know what the dream is, I pray it's awakened within you. I pray that you have dreams and visions from the Lord. And maybe you've been discouraged to face the next chapter of your life. Some of you have never received from the Lord even why you exist as a person. First, we must know and experience the love of the Father and allow Him to reveal the dream, the purpose for our lives on the earth. Then we must speak the dream out, write it down, so it will produce passion to run out the destiny in our lives. But how do I run? How do I maintain that passion? By knowing and having the spirit of faith. Here's the second part of the message, living with the spirit of faith. I have permission to dream, but to run with that and have passion, I have to live with the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13, this is Paul. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Faith is the most precious possession you can have the spirit of faith david had it at 17 caleb had it at 85 paul said we have the same spirit of faith and what he's saying is this it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who has the spirit of faith it functions and acts in every person it's not going to be different for you than it was for david or caleb or even joshua paul says to what is according to what's written he's quoting david david even said i believe therefore i speak then Paul said, we, that's us, that's the future, we should believe and therefore speak. But watch, there are two parts to, spirit, to the spirit of faith. There's two parts. There is the believing part and there's the speaking part. And you can learn all the principles of faith you want to, but, but without the spirit of faith, it's not going to work. Because it's the spirit of faith that actually connects you to God. 
Uh, let me give you an example about these two parts. Faith is like a quarter. You, you, you take a quarter, you look at it, one side has the picture of a dead president, the other side has the picture of an eagle. The U.S. Department, uh, 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 Treasury Department says if you take it outside, put it on the sidewalk and scuff up either side and the eagle is marred or the president is marred, it's not legal tender. That's what faith is like. One side is a speaking part, the other side is a believing part. If either part is marred, your faith will not work. You need to have the believing part and the speaking part. I'll illustrate it through Moses. Moses sent out 12 spies to the promised land. They came back with different reports. But watch, they all, all 12 of them saw the same thing. And here, here's why. The, the reason is you see through your eyes, but not with them. You see with your heart. You see through your, you're going to see through your eyes, but you actually see with your heart. So 12 guys said, oh, they're giants. They're more powerful than we are. We cannot go in. We're like grasshoppers in their sights. Only two guys said, hey, let's go up at once, take possession. We're well able to overcome, and they're like bread on the table for us. Physically, they saw the same thing, but in their hearts, one group saw defeat, one group saw victory. When I read the, the polls, I'm seeing so much of, of almost defeat and not enough victory. I'm, I'm see and listen, you are human, and I understand that, but let me tell you something. God didn't put us here to be defeated. He put us here to be victorious, and I want you to understand that you can be victorious as you live on this life. And I don't know what mountain or obstacle you're facing, but I know this, if you have the spirit of faith, you'll look at it and you'll see victory. If you have the spirit of faith, you will not see defeat, you will see victory. And you may be looking at it and thinking, this is impossible. This is, hasn't happened yet. I've been waiting on this miracle. I've been waiting on a healing. I've been waiting on finances to change. And it seems like things are just getting worse. But if you had the spirit of faith, you would say, I see victory. Because the Bible says that is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If you stay in faith, you're going to have victory. But guess what? Your enemy knows that. He, 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 he knows that, so he tries to get you out of faith. So you have to meet the enemy in the area of faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. He tries to get you in the area of sight. Because you're looking at this. This hasn't changed. This is getting worse. Nothing is moving. Nothing's changing. And so we say things like, looks like to me things are getting worse instead of better. I'm going under. I don't have a chance. These areas of sight are your past, are your current circumstances. If he gets you in the area of sight, you look at the past or the current. And if he can get you out of the area of faith, he can defeat you. But if you stay in the area of faith, you overcome the past and you overcome the current circumstances. Are, are, are you breathing? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Jesus, watch, taught his disciples on faith several times. The, the most in-depth is found in Mark 11. You, you can read it later, but I'm going to give you a snippet of it. They're saying, to G, how, how does this faith thing work? You may be sitting there thinking, how does this faith thing work? Because I've heard this extreme, I've heard that extreme. And, and here's what Jesus said in Mark 11:22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Before he says that, he's, he's prefaces it, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you something, that you, and when you hear it, you're not going to believe it. Before he starts to tell them about faith, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth, but when you hear it, you're going to think that can't be right. 
And he says, here's the bottom line of what he just said. He says, whoever says, whosoever will say to this mountain. So when you ask the question, what is faith? The most common answer we say today, well, faith is trusting in God. It's confidence in God. It's believing in God. It's the assurance of God. How many of you think those are good words for faith? Well, well, I do. I, I like them, but there's just one problem with it. When Jesus' disciples want to know about faith, that's not what Jesus said. How many of you think Jesus has good doctrine? Okay, the rest of you that don't, you need to read the Bible. Okay, but yeah, he does. So Jesus starts out by saying, whosoever will say to that mountain. He begins the discussion by saying, faith works for whoever will say. Listen to me. You may not get anything else today, but if you'll get this, it'll help you. The first thing your faith will ever move will be your mouth. The first thing your faith will ever move will be your mouth. And if your faith doesn't move your mouth, you will never move a mountain. Are are y'all breathing? Are you understanding the words coming out of my mouth? People come to me and they'll say, oh, I believe in the Bible. I believe in what you're teaching. I believe in my heart. Jesus didn't say it works for those who believe in their hearts. He says it works for those whosoever will say most believers give a report of what they have and all they get is what they've got they give a report of what they have but jesus said you're going you're going to have what you say so if you give a report of what you have you're always going to have what you've got what you need to say all of you all those on that from that poll all of it what you need to say is that the blood what the blood of jesus purchased for you that he forgives your sins, he heals all your diseases, he redeems your life from destruction, he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, he satisfies your mouth with good things and your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we need to agree with what God says belongs to us. Are you hearing me? You need to agree with your mouth and say what God says belongs to us. And the person that says, oh, oh, well, that's what I believe in my heart. The Bible says it will not work for you. The Bible says it works for those who will say. So if you want to be disqualified, you just say nothing. Because faith works for whosoever will say to that mountain. And watch this, Matthew 4, 4. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Listen to me. The Bible was, first of all, spoken. People get hung up on this. The Bible was spoken. It proceeded out of the mouth of God. Then it was written. The reason it was written was not so you could have a leather-bound edition for your coffee table. The reason that it was written is so you could speak it. (laughs) Romans 10.8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Basically, when you read the Bible, God is just trying to teach us how to talk. The the, the psalmist said, let the redeemed say so. But I feel so defeated and so weak. Joel said, let the weak say I'm strong. Romans 8 says, what shall we say then to these things? When trouble shows up, you're supposed to say something. Faith works for whosoever will say to this mountain. When you're facing your mountain, you need to begin to say what God has said about the situation. And then Jesus said, and it will be removed and cast into the sea. But here's the problem. Most people, most people listening to me, 
You would be happy if your mountain just moved to your neighbor's backyard. Come on, I'm telling the truth. But Jesus said it would go into the sea. Why the sea? Because the sea, look at the globe. The sea has the capacity, it has the ability to receive it and to dissolve it. Jesus is saying, listen to me, it is so important that you can get, you can get total deliverance from whatever your mountain is and you can go into the future as if it were never in your life. It's not going to be in your neighbor's backyard. It's going to be gone. But you need to start speaking to that mountain. You need to call it up. 1-800-MOUNTAIN. Call it up. Speak to that mountain. And realize for most of you, it's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a long-distance call. It's a local call. Your mountain is not in your neighbor's yard. It's not in your relative's yard. It's not in your boss's yard. It's in your backyard. And then I get these precious people. Oh, I just want the pastor to pray to speak to my mountain. You might as well just say, I want to lose 20 pounds and I want Pastor Jerry to go to the gym. Because that's not going to work because if I go, I lose, you don't. If I speak to the mountain, mine's moving and not yours. Your mountain needs your voice, not your pastor's voice, not your mama's voice. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. And here's why. This is, the, this is the best part of the whole message. Here's why. If you knew what was on the other side of that mountain, you would start speaking. If you knew what was on the other side of that mountain, your passion would rise up and you would run. Because on the other side of that mountain, for some of you, there's peace. For some of you, there's a healing for your marriage. For some of you, there's victory. For some of you, there's provision to come to your house. For some of you, there's physical healing. There is something on the other side of that mountain, but you got to move that mountain. God help me, I'm trying to be nice, so I'm not even going to throw out who these people are, but you will know if you know anything probably. Some people say, well, God put that mountain there. If God wanted you to have a mountain, why would Jesus tell you how to move it? That's all I'm saying. God put that mountain there for me. God did this. No, if, if, if God wanted you to have a mountain, why would Jesus tell you how to move it? Did Jesus have good doctrine? Come on, come on. According to Jesus, watch, it's not up to God whether your mountain moves. According to Jesus, it's up to you. Jesus said that mountain will move for whosoever will say to this mountain be removed into the sea, the mountain will move. I, I believe that and I'm just waiting on God. God's waiting on you, sister. <laughs> David said, I believe, so I spoke. Let's look at David. He woke up one day, his father says, take the supplies to your brothers. He gets to the valley on one side of the Philistines, the other side is Israel. He faces a man called Goliath who's a type of the enemy and what the enemy brings. The Bible says he's six cubits. He has six pieces of armor. And his spear weighs 600 shekels. That's 666. He has the devil's number. He is the type of demonic oppression that you and I will face. I don't care who you are. You and I will face that kind of oppression. Watch what David did. He says, I will fight him. And when Goliath saw him, you, you can read what he said. He said, when Goliath saw David, he said, 
and then David said. And I believe that when David said, Goliath was surprised. Because if you're 13 feet tall, nobody's talked back to you since K4. I believe that when you begin to speak to your giant or your mountain, the devil is surprised. Because there are not many people who talk to their mountains, but most talk about their mountains. Most are not speaking to their giants, they're talking about their giants. Well, bless God, this has been in my family forever. We've had this sickness and this disease and cancer and divorce, and it's just my family heritage. David said, what? David said to Goliath, and then the Bible said David ran, there's the passion, toward him and prevailed and cut off the giant's head, and the, and the giant did not say anything else. You got the picture? Two lessons from that. Always move toward your giant or your mountain with your mouth working. You need to speak what God is saying. Not what everybody else is saying, what God is saying. And secondly, never let your giant or your mountain have the last word. You just keep saying what God has said. Because my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed, he won't change. And Jesus said, if you'll speak to that mountain and believe in your heart and not doubt, you will have what you say. Yes, I have to believe it in my heart, but I've got to speak it with my mouth so I can have what you say. Now, let me close with this. I love this. In Mark 11, the scripture text we just read, in the Old King James Version, how many of you still read that version? It's called the Old King Jimmy Version. It says, he shall have whatsoever he saith. We just think, well, that's King James talk. No, 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 no. In the Greek, that word saith is the word lego. How many of you have kids and you have legos in your house? Okay, for all you old people, that's like Lincoln Logs. Legos are little blocks. You put them together, you go to the toy store, you, you can look through, you can get a robot, you can get a spaceship, airplane, whatever you want. You choose what you want by the picture on the box. You buy it, you bring it home. There's a picture on the outside. You open up the box, you pour it out. There's no instructions, no picture on the inside. But everything you need to build the picture is in the box. That is a picture of faith. When you read the Bible, you get a picture, a dream of what's on the inside of you because everything you need to build what God has promised you is in you it has to come out of your mouth it's in your heart and it comes out of your mouth with a spirit of faith so you can build it so Jesus said you can have whatsoever you lego the Greek definition of lego listen to it your set systematic discourse which you say declare and tell wow let me tell you what jesus didn't say because most christians are confused about what jesus says most think he said and you'll have whatsoever you say in church Man, I can watch you guys worship and sing and talk to God and thank God and be grateful and thank you for grace and mercy and you're saying this and you're doing all this in church because you see in church, you say all the right things. Right? Sure you do. But you don't always get what you say in church. 
you get in the car and you start to drive home. You're headed home, you get closer to home, you get a headache. It's getting worse. You turn to your wife, I got my, my head hurt. I've never had a headache like this. In a minute, you remember. Oh, remember last year, old Bob down the street was cutting grass, dropped dead with an aneurysm? Oh, no, I've got an aneurysm. I'm going to be dead before the day's over. You're going to lose the house and the kids and the dogs. And, uh... See, you don't get what you say in church. You get what you say in the car. You get what you say in your house. You get what you say in your bedroom. You get what you say at your job. You get what you say in your school. You, you see, you get your set systematic discourse literally by what you say to others and what you tell others. You declare it. It's just not what you say in church. Come on, church. You need to wake up to that. Listen to me. If you only got what you said in church, we would have church seven days a week. We, we would never stop. But that's not life. That's not living. That's, that's not normal. No, you have a life. You have a family. You have stuff. You have jobs. You have all these things. So this will work for whoever anybody will say to the mountain be removed cast into sea not doubt in his heart believes those things will come to pass jesus said you will have what you lego in mark 5 the woman with the issue of blood she's coming up behind jesus as a crowd the disciples are being bodyguards scripture says that when she came up for she said that word said is for she lego if you'd have been there you'd have tried to stop her and have crowd control she would have said this you see that man over there that's jesus i'm going to get through this crowd no matter what you say or whatever i have to do i'm going to get to him and i'm going to touch him and when i touch him i will be made well she had the spirit of faith and she said it she spoke it she lego she declared because you see, it's not what you say in church, but it's what you say every day. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. And if you speak negative, and woe is me, and poor, poor, pitiful me, and this is what mama did, and this is what great-grandmama did, and this is what everybody did, and this is just my, and you start, you start living in that, you, you, you're, you're not going to see the victory. You've you got to turn it around. Well, how do I turn it around? Read some, po some positive book? Yeah, read the Bible. Read what Jesus said. Start speaking what Jesus said. Start believing. And listen, when you realize that he's given you a coat of favor and, you, and he loves you and he has a purpose and, and it's like, okay, my purpose is not to be this and my purpose is not to be that. That's not good. That didn't come from God. When you find that purpose and you start believing it and you start speaking it, God begins to move mountains out of your life. Your faith goes to the top and you're not afraid of any devil or any demon and you'll climb a wall for God. I'm like nine minutes in the hole. But I don't care because I've been on vacation for a month. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I don't know what you think about this message, but I'm telling you something. This is good, and let me tell you why it's good. It's God's Word, but I've lived it out. I've walked it out. 
Some of the most negative people on me when I started this church were other pastors. Some of the other negative people were city council members in the city of Daphne that spoke negative, called me out and said, your church is a disgrace. Your church is a failure. I'm not listening to that. Why? Because I had a dream. Because I had a vision. And nothing can stop it but me. So I'm not going to give ear to it. I'm not going to stop. God's not finished. We're going to affect the world for Jesus Christ. A little church in South Alabama. We're going to affect the world for Jesus Christ. Because there is anything is possible. Anything is possible when God is in the middle of it. Father, thank you for what you've taught me. Thank you for what I've been able to share, what you've given my heart to share, and I pray that nothing will steal the seed of this word, that it will bring forth a harvest in the lives of people, and that these people will understand that you love them, you have a coat of favor, and you want them to achieve and overcome and be victorious so we can see the kingdom advance. In Jesus' name, thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you. And the church said amen.